Hello, everyone. You have Jake and Seth with you today, and we are going to discuss the 1987 film from the Coen brothers, Raising Arizona, starring Holly Hunter and Nick Cage, and an adorable, beautiful, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, <laughs> baby boy they call Junior. Seth, well, tell me, I, I'm sure you've seen this movie before. Give me a little background. What What... When was the last time you saw this movie? What are your thoughts about it? What were your expectations? You know, it had honestly been a while since I'd seen this. Um, And it it really, every time I watch this particular movie, it brings back a lot of memories. Uh, Definitely saw it a lot as a kid. Um, What I was thinking when I watched it this time, actually, was that, like, I felt like this was the first movie where the Coen brothers sort of reached that auteur status, where it's like they've defined what their signature kind of is and it's like this is really the first movie you can hold up and be like this is a coen brothers movie and nobody else could have made this and it's like i feel like this kind of starts their run they you know they do this i want to say big lebowski fargo you know wins best picture and stuff and i feel like that's kind of their their big run in the 90s there or something but uh this movie in particular i mean I think the confluence of the coen brothers sort of really finding their own signature style and also Cage and Hunter being pretty peak Cage and Hunter. You know, this I would say this is early Nick Cage prime. Uh, this is kind of like off his moonstruck period. It's before he goes into action movies. It's when he's still trying to be kind of a serious actor in a lot of ways. Uh, also, Holly Hunter is kind of the same deal where it's like, uh, I mean, it was it was actually interesting to watch this after watching Crash. Very different performances. I was thinking the same thing. I'll, I'll let you finish it up and we'll talk about that. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, I think for, for the, for the, the Coen brothers and the two lead actors, I think it's a, a good confluence of everyone in an early prime of their careers, all kind of meeting together. And it's a really just funny, it's a very simple story. It's a very funny story. It has some, um, I mean, it has some very almost operatic themes or Shakespearean theme, themes to it. And then in other ways, it has some very sort of like modern, uh, uh, domestic family sort of themes going on. Uh, I, I, I sort of found myself thinking about that a little bit more, but I think all the performances are great. Uh, yeah, I should also mention John Goodman, just like get what a, what a, I mean, a home run of a performance by John Goodman in the supporting part. I forgot he was in this and it was such a pleasant surprise. And I almost didn't recognize <laughs> him at first because of how young and thin he looked. And I'm not trying to be mean. Yeah. He was so much thinner and it made me a little upset be like, if you, you could have been more of a leading man, like we could have seen him in some more things. I feel like not that he didn't have a great career, but I'm getting off on a side tangent here. Great scene, John Goodman <laughs> and William Forsythe. I had to look him up. He, that was oh, the yeah. partner of Val. He's such a great, that guy, uh, Joey pants. <laughs> I always think of him from the rock when he's like the, one of the FBI guys. Oh yes, yes, yes. You're right. Um, also, I have no idea who plays uh, Smalls, the tracker guy, but I always have been fascinated by that guy and that character. Randall Tex Cobb, he is like the stock character actor for bad guys, I feel like, for a long time. I think he was also in, um, I'm going to look it up right now, I'm pretty sure he was in The Golden Child. He just, he's got oh, that okay. face, he looks yeah, he's like kind of—he's the most rugged man I've ever seen in my life. I, as a child, I was very scared of that character. Also, he's um, he's a big man. He, he's a big fella. And in this one, I forgot 
I guess we're going to the movie. I forgot how evil the character was. I knew he was supposed to be evil, but I didn't remember. There is a scene in this film, which you don't see very often, especially played for laughs, where there is a black market baby price negotiation. <laughs> and you, that just doesn't come that, come around that often. It, it does. Pretty, pretty yeah, it's a great scene. Yeah, that's a really good one. I, I, you know, this movie, it has a lot of, uh, like, fairy tale aspects to it, where um, it's, uh, you know, there's sort of this baby snatching, and I think that's sort of, like, in a lot of lullabies and stuff. And yeah, it's like, like the fairies steal the baby. Right, for and then there's this the sort of, like, horrible man that tries to come snatch the baby after that, and it's like, there's the you know there's this very negative energy and then there's all this positive energy from the mom and stuff but i also think it's like it's funny when in moments like that where it's like so this hor- this guy that represents like the horrible whatever dark side of you know life or something he shows up at the dad's office and he's like how much for the baby and it's like suddenly you get this really like comedic like uh, uh sort of like exchange of of like haggling price and I love the other, I think it's Fred Willard that plays that guy, that the father. Am I right about that? Um, I, I have it right here. Trey Wilson. Sorry, Trey Wilson. That guy, I think, is really funny in his part, too. He's always telling everyone to, like, kiss his butt or something. But it's like, I love that he doesn't back down to Smalls in that scene. He's just like, I'm just going to call the cops right now. He is my, he's a great He's a great actor, great performance. And this is one of my favorite characters from like, literature and fiction. It's the gruff, no-nonsense, like, hard-spoken cowboy. But he's actually not a bad guy. He's just, like, a rough guy. He's, like, rough and tough, but he's not. An, yeah. At least uh, my takeaway was was that he's not a bad guy. But he's, like, he's a cowboy. He's a... He, he's not high. He's not, like, H.I. or high or whatever. But, um... Yeah, H.I. is more of like the outlaw type of thing. Yeah, and he, he, he is the, if this were the Western, he, it would be like a Once Upon a Time in the West, although he's better <laughs> than Frank. He's not as evil as Frank, but but he's like the guy in the movie where the only difference between him and the, like the bad guy is he's got a badge, but that's because he's a little more like respectable. I think I'm getting yeah, lost right. in this tangent here. I, I Initially, and I remember upon rewatch, He's not really an antagonist, but you're not rooting for him. But by the end, the scene where they're bringing the baby back, the scene with Smalls where he's negotiating, I also love because it's this oh, guy yeah. who understands. I, the, my takeaway from that scene was just that, like, okay, this guy's a bad dude. He's going to prey on weakness. If I am weak, that means he's probably got this kid. He's trying to, like, his, like, mindset. I really like that scene because it just showed that this guy isn't going to take anyone's shit. But then at the end, you realize he ends up kind of taking the shit not from H.I. and Ed when they drop the kid off. He's a no-nonsense right. dude, and he ends up going easy on them. And that was one of the things I really liked. because you keep, And he gives them this nice little speech. Uh, it, it was one of the tender moments, and to your point, it's something, it's a style. Like We talk about Tarantino a lot, and that style is like a totally opposite direction. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, there's something in this film, the quirky, the quir- it's quirky, and it's funny, but they're still pulling the heartstrings in like a very real way. And like some of the emotional chords pulled to go deep. And I forgot just how much I loved the action at the end. Like the last 40 minutes, it's a lot of action. And the last, there's a full 20 minute like sequence that, that's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, I actually, I, and I, I found myself really enjoying the opening again, which is sort of, it opens with this ode to joy on banjo and it's a cycle through 
sort of the beginning of Cage's adult life where he just keeps robbing places and going back to jail. But it's he like ends up courtship. meeting. It's their courtship. Yeah, it's their court. Exactly. And he keeps meeting Holly Hunter. And it, like, it seems like he's having a bad life, but he actually is sort of falling for this woman, but extremely slowly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, but I, all the cutting and, and editing. Yeah, the editing in this movie I found to be pretty superb, honestly, because it's like it's all done in timing with music for the most part. And it's all... I mean, everything they capture is really interesting and, and funny, and it's like, uh, even if in the shorter clips, it's like, there's always something to kind of catch your eye and stuff, and so it's really well done, it's like, everything's well shot and well edited, so that it all it all feels like this, like, sort of ballet with the music, and it's like, it's more like a ride of a movie than it feels like you're kind of, like, sitting there watching something. I mean, in comparison, movies like Fargo and No Country for Old Men are much, much slower and uh, slower paced and sort of, like... Uh, teased out and, and played up for higher drama and tension and stuff where, I mean, this movie, it's kind of like they're just letting it rip and they're, they're just going from shot to shot and scene to scene and, uh, you know, joke to joke too. I mean, it's some of their funniest material too. Some of the lines and the line reads, I love how this is sort of the start too of them using really authentic dialects from really, uh, really like regions other filmmakers would never think of going to. I mean, no one else would think of going to Arizona or Fargo and like really digging into those dialects and like making characters like this. It's a really strange place to have a setting, you know, all the shots of the desert, it just seems like a wasteland. Like there's nothing growing except cactuses and rocks. And it's like, why would you live out here? All you get is the sun. But then there's also moments like they're watching a sunset and Holly Hunter's like, that was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And you're like, Oh, I kind of get why you might like this or, you know, but it's also like, you know, they're people from there. And so that's the place they love. It's like, you know, there's all this sort of Americana going on as well. You, you hit on one of the things I love that the most is they kind of shine a light on certain parts of America that don't always get the credit or the attention they deserve. And yeah, but we're from New York. I know you're in the East coast. Right, now. Yeah, exactly. My wife's in Boston. We're all from big towns, but at the same time, I, we both said it. We love seeing that part of America and when it feels authentic and no, like for us, it, I I've never heard that I've never heard the critique it wasn't authentic. One of the things I hear about the movies is that it is authentic, whether it's Fargo or West Texas and No Country for Old Men or this film. Right. It's one of the things it feels like they're really celebrating. They're not making fun of and this movie easily, I think, handled in a different director's hands. It could have came off as a parody on or making fun of like not like hips right. or the, the, the movie I think of is um what was that? The movie uh, with the llamas. Um uh it was like a comedy, um, Pedro for president, you know, what I'm talking? Oh, Napoleon yes, Dynamite. yes, Napoleon Dynamite. The, where it almost felt like they were sort of making fun of the region, you know what I mean? Yes, yes, I agree. This felt like a celebration of it, and yes, like yeah. the story and everything, there's all this stuff going on, but there are a lot of beautiful, whether it's that sunset, and you, you, you hit the nail on the head, there's no wasted movement, the movie picks you up, but there's also a lot of scenic shots, and they do a great job of with the setting. And I feel like making you feel like you're there. And uh, to, to me in this one, it's a, this film was a celebration of the, of the setting and like celebrating the quirkiness and maybe some of the things, the weirdness, but it, it wasn't weird. Like they played everything up and made it really charming. Yeah. And, and to your point, Napoleon Dynamite, and which is a, an entertaining movie and solid in its own right, it felt like it was a little more making fun of and not like there were some kind moments in that, but it felt a little bit more and, like, like we were laughing I mean, at yeah, Some of Napoleon Dynamite, I think is like a celebration of weird people in a way, but it's it, like, I think it like, 
clearly the makers of that movie probably saw movies like this and were kind of like, you know, kind of pushed the boundary, I think, where I think like what we were saying, uh, this feels much more like a celebration of Arizona. And it's like at first you're kind of laughing at the fact that he lives in the trailer and has these funny shoes that he slips on for like a dinner engagement or something. But it's like, I think by the end of the movie, you're sort of like, it's not that bad a life or it's not that different than my life in a lot of ways, too. I love the scene when he brings the baby home and yeah, like at first they do a great job. I feel like transforming the trailer and like at first it's a trailer, then it's a home when they bring the kid back and yeah. then by the end it's destroyed and it's because of the, their two friends, I guess we're kind of going through the movie now, but it was like, it kind of showed, I feel like to me, the trailer was representing HI, not so much Ed, but HI's life. Like it was empty. Then Ed came in it and it was full and they had the baby and then through his own mistake of having those guys there, at that moment, everything was destroyed. The baby was gone. Ed was going to leave him. Right. The, the, literally, his life was destroyed. His trailer, his home was gone, and he has nothing left. And that's always when characters are at their most fun and dangerous, whether they're good or bad. It's when they have nothing left to lose, and they can find their real strength. <laughs> Not that this movie is playing on that line, uh, but it was... Uh, it. I liked the trailer and yeah, that was something that when you said it, I didn't realize it was film. Like I was pissed when the, I never occurred to me before, but in this one, when John Goodman and the, and Nick Cage are fighting and just destroying the trailer, I was like upset. I felt bad. It was almost like a character. I was like, it's no. also one of the most hilarious fights I've ever seen. It's like every time Goodman moves his arm, it's going through a wall and there's just like Cheetos flying. It's just a crazy fight the way they capture it. Uh, can I tell you something? At first, I was like, oh, this is like the Seinfeld scene when they're playing pool in the uh, in the apartment and everything. And then I realized, I was like, no, wait, Seinfeld definitely borrowed that from this. Like, it yeah, was just probably, so funny. Yeah. And uh, we talked about the Bourne movies recently, and it's like there are all these really cool sex, – sex is not the right word, but cool, sophisticated fights, like in close yeah. quarters between Matt Damon and some tall, like handsome-looking European model. And it's like, oh – and then it's like, no, this is what a close quarter fights really probably look like between two ex-cons. <laughs> yeah. It's like really ugly and it's really brutal and there's just going to be a whole bunch of broken shit at the end of it. <laughs> and that's exactly, yeah. It's like, there's a cartoonishness to it, but there's also a realism to it, which is like really hard to pull off, I think. And it's it's actually, it's beautifully done the way they capture it and it's shot. And you can tell that they blocked it out and everything and like practiced all those moves and stuff. I will, The other thing I was going to say was like, one of the things I noticed was when they take the baby, it's sort of like you take it from its original mother into Cage and Holly Hunter, and then it's like the two criminals take it, and then it's like the guy on the motors, the tracker takes it, and it's like the baby just keeps going into more dangerous hands until Nick Cage like writes the wrong and takes it back to the mom, you know? So it's funny you said that. I was I was laughing at it this one, and it's not something I I'm sure I I remembered it, but it didn't stick with me. I didn't realize until this rewatch that the baby whoever had the baby wanted to keep the baby it was like the and i was wondering uh, especially yeah that's true yeah, like the worse the pe the person was the quicker it was for them to attach to the baby and uh it, i do think that smalls the tariff i don't think he had the, the best interest at heart but the john goodman <laughs> character and the william forsyth guy like that was really funny and i don't remember them as well, but in this rewatch, they were, they're both great. And I think two of the highlights, but what was really funny was they're not, they clearly define that, uh, in my opinion, that Nick Cage and John Goodman and those guys, they're your average run of the day criminals. 
They're right, not they're yeah. not like you're super violent. They're not gonna kill you. They might tie you up and rob you, but they're not gonna kill you. They're the type of guy like Cage loses his job. He doesn't know what else to do, so he tries to rob a convenience store for Huggies. It's like that's the kind of guy. Like he doesn't know what to do, so he's just like, Well, I lost my job, I'll rob this store. That's and he never he uses thinks. bullets, and so that's why he yeah. keeps getting out. And it's like so um But they clearly differentiate that smalls. There is an evil type of villain in this world too, but I just thought it was so funny that as soon as they have the kid and just everything about it, when they f- think they forgot the kid yeah, and I feel like it's, too, it's not just terror. It's like, they really care. They're heartbroken. Yeah. And then when they find it, it's, it's, he starts calling them Dale jr. I love how they all just keep ch- just junior, yeah, keep changing the first name. And actually it's funny. Other, the, the baby other, actor actually was a junior. TJ oh, Coon really jr. <laughs> the other, uh, the other Goodman scene I love is like, uh, there's a part like Holly Hunter and Cage come home and Hunter looks at Goodman and his brother and he's like look you do a bad influence you're gonna leave in the morning and uh, Goodman kind of like drops his like 10th beer and stares up and he's like look we apologize if we influenced anybody <laughs> it's just kind of like I he has a, he's really top notch in this movie I was actually here's a question for you do you think Goodman's better in this or in Lebowski I would rather have a beer with this version of John Goodman. I think it would be really fun to hang out with him. But I might give him oh, – I would give him the win in that movie just because he's doing a little more. And there's a little range there. I guess – oh, I don't know. That's tough. I'm going to have to yeah, get back Yeah, it's tough. Him. I don't know. I'll give the, Push Lebowski because I just think he's asked to do a little more in that film. He's like really the second I kind movie. of agree with you. Yeah. Um, uh, he's great though. But uh, – <laughs> I do, yeah, I think this is, like, his start, his first movie with the Coen brothers, and uh, I'm happy he, they made that relationship, because he really works well in, in all their movies. He's great in No Brother Where Art Thou as well. Oh, yeah, that's, that is one of my favorite, to me, that's, like, a movie that's a forgotten gem. Like, I would put that in the, uh, your camp movie I think bucket. a lot of the other, like, their other sort of movies have kind of overshadowed it at this point, but it's a definite, like... For that to be in their library, I think, is a, quite the achievement. I love The Odyssey, and it's a retelling of The Odyssey, although loosely, right, and yeah. I just, it's one of my favorite, I love genre mashups, I love, and I just love the actors in that, John Turturro, it's... Right, it's really beautifully about. shot, too. Yeah, but no, this film, this film was great, too. I feel like we've kind of talked about... Do you want to talk about Cage a little bit, actually? Like, just like how uh, this period of Cage to me is still interesting because it's like he's still a serious actor. He's still trying to, like, win Oscars, kind of. And he's he's still kind of pushing himself to do different things. But he hasn't gotten it off the deep end yet. He hasn't, like, gone into this weird world of, like, action and, like, pushing. Like, also just bizarre acting styles. 100%. Quick retreat, though. That was a question sure. I was going to ask you. So the message, we just talked about how the kid had this like kind of transformative power on all the criminals, uh, with the exception of maybe the the one guy. Smalls. But right. my, my question was, uh, my kind of takeaway was that in this, it's like there is it, it assigned not just to this child, but like the power of children. I thought it was kind of a message on the power of children or hope. Just the idea that maybe... I, I, I think I came away from it with a little too flowery of an idea, but, but this is something I don't remember. To me... I didn't realize the cut the kid had this type of I don't want to say healing power, but like almost redemptive power for all the criminals who had it. Like it seemed like it made them a better I think for everyone that took the kid, it's like they suddenly felt the responsibility of the kid and so it kind of turned them into a parent. And it's like 
you know, as soon as Hunter and Cage take the kid, it's like, oh, now we're like, we sit down in our room and now we really feel like we're responsible for the kid. That's exact. Actually, now that you say that, they both have those scenes, both the two robbers and. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're, okay, that makes so much sense. I'm sorry. Boom. You were saying Nick Cage. Yes, I do want to talk about Nick Cage because I think, I think we have to. Like, so before I answer your question, I'll answer your question. Oh, actually, wait. I just want you to think about this. Who is this generation's Nick Cage? And where did he go wrong? Oh. <laughs> or wait, before I say that, do you want to give me, I'm sorry, you, I think I cut you off before you actually finished your question. You were just mentioning Nick Cage. We got to talk about him. I just think it's like he has so many, he's almost like the David Bowie of like modern actors or something. Like he has all these weird stages. Like he's a huge action star at one point. He has all these bizarre roles. You know, he ends up doing, you know, goes into his Bangkok dangerous phase somewhere in the 2000s. And then it's like, he still kind of shows up now. I mean, I, you know, it's like I heard his voice in the Croods movie, which is like a an animated movie. He's all over the place is what I'm saying. But it's like back in the late 80s, early 90s, like he was doing movies like Moonstruck and Raising Arizona, Leaving Las Vegas. You know, he was trying to win Oscars. He was trying to be the best, the top, you know, the top actor in the game kind of. And I just think, you know, if he had stayed in this mode, who's to say he wouldn't have like you know, been rival, you know, the American rival of Daniel Day-Lewis or something like, I think it was really interesting when he was in his period of being a serious actor, because like he was, I mean, he's, a, he's amazingly good. And it's not to say that he has all his Nick Cage mannerisms and all his roles. And that's like, I'm very familiar with all his like sort of moves, I guess. And maybe that's why he pushed himself to do much more bizarre things in his future. But I think if he had stayed in this mode, it's hard to say how successful he might have been critically, like as a critical actor. It's hard to say. I feel like what's funny, it's like he did in 96. (laughs) It's just I'm looking at this run of movies he had. Like, I'm just going (laughs) to I guess we'll start in Trapped in Paradise, Kiss of Death, Leaving Las Vegas, The Rock, Con Air. Face Off, City of Angels, which is the Snake Eyes, eh. with an 8mm, Bringing Out the Dead, Gone in 60 Seconds, Family Man. I'll stop it there, but that's like a 12-movie run in (laughs) 7 years, and like 9 out of 12 are good. Like that's, and that's not even including, that's like, I'm starting, mind you, like 15 years ahead of the start of his career. He... His career is pretty nuts. I guess the 80s, it looks like the 80s, I guess he was young, he was coming up, but Pegasus got married. Um, I've seen, oh, was it, that Rumblefish, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I won't read through all of them, but he just had, he has an incredible resume. So he's had a couple stages. I feel like, would you say Raising Arizona was like the second, kickstarted the second stage with Moonstruck? Yeah, I would, yeah it's like, it's what, I would say Peggy Sue got married is the end of that first stage. That's when it's like he sort of becomes known. And then it's like Raising Arizona, Moonstruck, up through uh, leaving Las Vegas. That would be like his second stage to me. Yes. Like he, he's got some action movies in there, but they're not like the big 90s action movies. But then he's, they're mostly they're mostly like dramatic, serious parts. I mean, it could happen, you know, Trapped in Paradise, he's kind of more comedic. It could happen to you is more of a rom-com. Honeymoon in Vegas is kind of fun. Actually, I'm a fan of Honeymoon in Vegas. I think that's an underrated movie. That's actually a good but, one with, uh, yeah, is that with Jennifer, J- uh, J- uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. That, that's actually yeah, a Sarah solid Jessica one. Yeah, Sarah Jessica Parker, yeah. So, I'm looking at this now. I mean, 
I but that, it's like he wins he wins Best Actor for leaving Las Vegas. And then he decides he's going to be the biggest action star in the world. Well, so that's, to me, that's the cutoff. Well, what I was going to say was it's, I think he's a victim of his generation because like up until the mid-90s, he's doing it. And then in the mid-90s, he switches to action star. And that was the, that was the decade of action movies. That was yeah. like – this was started to be when the Oscar bait – the Oscar pool got lower each year and the summer blockbuster pool got bigger each year. And it's just look at the movies he did after that. It's I mean, yeah, they're the Rock, Conair, Face Off, three like, and those are by the way, those are three amazing action movies. The Rock <laughs> is one of like the Rock is the best, but without a doubt. But you're right, and then I think he's not fully gone. Like Eight Millimeter, Snake Eyes, those were movies. Snake Eyes wasn't good, but uh, that was a movie that he no, yeah, Eight Millimeter was like kind of good critically bringing out the dead was a scorsese movie yeah you like know? snake eyes was De palma so like i think that he, right, was, he yeah. was trying to do gone in 60 seconds was not a great movie but it was successful captain corelli's mandolin i think that was another big director um, this is like so the, i would say gone in 60 seconds is the end of that phase two and then he has this phase three where he kind of falls a bit and he has this family man corelli's mandolin like wind talkers Adaptation's a good critical movie. Wasn't like a big hit though. Same with Matchstick Men. Then I would say National Treasure is kind of the start of Phase Four. <laughs> it's just so sad. I like the first National Treasure. It is a fun movie, but so some of the reason, some of the story behind Cage here is that he is famous for having weird collections. He ha- owns like a Batmobile. I think he owns paid yeah. like a million dollars for a kryptonite rock that's green. very rare animals too. I'm a, I'm yeah. Long story short, the 2007 crisis was not kind to him, and he and you just look at it, his straight to DVD output just like almost skyrockets. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. That was gonna say I like that. So then the National Treasure through the second National Treasure, I think, is like Phase Four, and then Phase Five is like a lot of these straight to DVD movies where some of these in. Bangkok Dangerous. Bad Lieutenant is a uh, is a is a is a movie I actually love, but nobody saw it. It wasn't like a hit or anything. That's a uh, what I, I haven't seen it. I've heard good things. It's funny you say that because Kick Ass is I think one of the most underrated uh, comic book movies or graphic novel movies, and he has the role that's perfect for him in that. He basically plays I've seen an that eccentric movie. Batman. The first one I was I thought was okay. The second one I thought they kind of lost themselves. The problem. I mean, I'm just looking at it here. You got the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which I think was supposed to be his uh, version of a Disney vehicle, like a Pirates of the Caribbean, something they right. come back to. You, you, I'm sorry, I don't want to be mean, but they just hired that kid Barucal, who I like, but he's not leading like a summer franchise. Like, not to be a du- <laughs> like. There's a reason he's yeah, he's probably a better actor than Orlando Bloom, but. Orlando Bloom can lead a franchise. That guy can. Sorry. I mean, I mean, yeah, it, the yeah, I mean, like from 2010 on, I mean, it's like he's doing some horrible movies. I will say this: I did see a Color Out of Space. It's a weird movie. He might be entering his rare sixth phase, where it's like slowly. Back. I think he's in like seven, maybe seven or eight. I don't know what he's in. Now. I think he might be slowly returning to credibility because he. Did have a great cameo in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, a Spider-Man Noir. I saw that. I enjoyed that. Brooklyn enjoyed it as well. Very well received. Uh, and he did Color Out of Space, which I actually liked. It is, I don't know how successful it was. I think it was pretty well received. 
it is I think he could be moving into this weird seventh phase where he's doing the crudes too and these like Lovecraftian weird horror, like respectable horror films with the occasional kill chain straight to DVD action film in, in the background. I would say, I mean, it's crazy the amount of work he's still doing. I would say, do you, uh, let me ask you this, Jake. Is there any chance that this guy gets himself back onto the podium on, on Oscar night? Oh, 100%. You no think doubt. he still has it in him? So he's no got doubt. some role out there? No doubt. Um, <laughs> it might be like in phase 10, but I'm just thinking <laughs> everyone loves a comeback. And it's true. It's like, you know, I feel like McConaughey and Affleck both kind of went through a, a rise and a fall and a comeback. And it's like, I think it's time for Cage to maybe like finally come back from this odyssey he's been on. I hope he comes back. But there's also like Mandy, is it? It's another good movie. Like he was in Mandy. It was it was I it wasn't my favorite, but it was this like interesting horror, like really dark horror fantasy film. It's I think he's coming back. I think there's a chance he could one day get it, but I think it might be in like 15, 20 years when he's the old apprentice, like as a supporting actor. I think he'll I don't know if he'll ever reach it again as a as a main. I think he'll reach the podium again at some point though. I agree. I could see that. It would be It'd be it would be fascinating to me though if he uh, sort of like refound his gift as a lead actor late in his life or something. Yeah. But he's got like I know he he has all these very weird theories about acting too. He does not agree with a lot of the more conventional schools, I guess, that other actors uh, use. He he, I've, I forget the exact terms he uses, but uh, I've I've often heard him describe that most of his later career is satirizing other actors in some weird perverse way or something but I, honestly I I, when i throw on like one of his weird newer movies like that i see on netflix or something and i watch him i'm just like this is a man losing his mind on film i, I think he's <laughs> lost it <laughs> yeah we went off on a yeah. deep end there so that was a big nick cage tangent there but i guess i guess what i saying this i thought he really this was a great performance and i could see this being a star making performance he is agreed yeah. a romantic lead he's doing a lot of physical comedy that's working he's also doing a lot of comedy through his line delivery like the subtle southern drawl which works and he's an like there's a big action punch-up sequence and it all works i think it definitely took him out of the boyish sort of peggy sue uh sort of model and like made people realize that he was like a leading man and uh, like because he does carry the movie for the most part i think i didn't realize how we'll get into holly hunter in a minute she's great but i didn't i forgot he was also like kind of the narrator it's told yeah the narrating was really good too really well written it was great it was the movie was built around his performance and he delivered and i'm looking at yeah. their cinema cinema cinematographies now it's clear it was clearly a chance that they were taking on him this was their second movie it's cool to see it work out the way it did it's a little frustrating it's just like when you go and see tom cruise and uh i forget what's the one with with rebecca de mornay where he's like sliding Oh, around. Risky Business? Risky Business. And it's like, oh, we're going to get to see this guy for another 40 years. And we have. Yeah. And it's awesome. And it's like you get to see grow with them. And it's like, Nick Cage, we're going to get another 40 years. And it's like, well, you got, you got 20 good ones. And then we'll... I, I will say, like, weirdly, uh, Raising Arizona is like a weird, bizarre preview of what he turns into. Like, it kind of encapsulates everything you could do with him. Where it's like, he's funny. He's, he's good dramatically. He's weird. He's bizarre. His hair is all over the place. 
His hair changes throughout the movie. <laughs> even but it's like, like that's kind of what his whole career's been. Even with Stanley Goodspeed in The Rock, he's a weird <laughs> dude. You're right. He infuses all the characters with a natural weirdness. Uh, yes. I was just the joke for, for the, the Ghost Rider movies was that he thought he was Ghost Rider, and everyone jokes about like he thought he really was, and he's like trying to act like his face was on fire, like the character. And that was another joke with uh, Blade that uh, oh, he, yeah. he would only be called Blade on the third film set but uh it's funny they're two of the only i'm sure there's other examples uh but they're two of the only actors i can think of who the franchising your own massive multi-movie marvel comic book summer blockbuster thing was the downfall of your career like that ended up leading into the downfall mainly for wesley snipes because i I guess so i mean those big movies, those action movies he were in were, were wildly successful, but I just think, I guess, yeah. Like, I was I talking about the, the Ghost Rider. I, I'm talking about the Ghost oh, Rider sorry, specifically yeah, yeah. ones. Like, those movies, like, it's weird. Those happened towards the end of his career, and my thought, at, like, given how that industry was booming, you would think that, that those films would have given, like, Wesley Snipes and him some more legs, and it didn't really work out for him that way. That, that That's kind of where I was going. With yeah, that. you're right. You're right. That is weird. Um I was also going to mention real quick the guy that plays his boss. Um, I think it's Sam McMurray as Glenn. I think that guy. The the Coen brothers sort of have these like characters they'll use in all their movies sometimes, but it's like he, they seem like such authentic. It's almost like a part of the setting where it's like the characters are so authentic they feel like they're a part of the actual setting, and that's how that guy feels to me. Where it's like he's got all these shitty Polak jokes, and he's just like. He's 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 actually almost like an early Michael Scott or something, you know, from The Office. <laughs> he's also Chandler's boss and friends. He's kind of like oh, that, that guy. Right? Um, when I, I didn't realize this again, another great spot or a great pick by them, Frances McDormand as his wife. Yeah, I think she was married to Joel or Ethan. One of the she, she's married to one of the brothers. I forget. Great, great casting. Uh, this was clearly yeah. early in her career, and her best stuff would come later, and still is coming, but. Loved him, loved her, and you even said I always think about when they John Goodman's holding up the bank, and they're like, "Freeze, get on the ground!" And the old timers like, "Hey, young, like, hey, youngin, like, what, yeah. what's it gonna be? I can't very well get on the floor because then I'm moving, and I can't freeze and stay." And then John Goodman's like, "Oh, like that old timer's yeah. confusing me." Um, it just they they do a great job. I even think to the I keep bringing up old country for old men, but I think of those scenes. Yeah, they do it in that too. Yeah, it's you. There's something very authentic, and it's the draw, and it's the accent, and it's the setting, and it's it's definitely the parlance. It wouldn't work if you had that voice in something like an East Coaster, like "Hey, what you doing in?" Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Sorry. It's like they sort of found was. some way to like lean into the setting and the accents and like all, and and really like immerse themselves in that, and then like let the story come out of that. Like I don't know exactly. Because you're right, it's like other movies will be set in locations and they'll be like, okay, they're kind of doing accents and stuff, but there's something very specific about the Coen Brother movies and the way their characters, yeah, especially the minor characters, become a part of that setting too. I think, yeah, it's, um, sorry, just lost, lost my train of thought <laughs> it's just, there. It's, a, it's hard to see. It's a, yeah, it's like I don't know exactly how they differentiate themselves. I guess what I was going like, to say, it feels like it's – they take the setting and they filter the movies through it, which like kind of, I, this is just coming off in my head and it's more filtered through it. So the whole movie has this authentic feel, 
Whereas opposed to like we talked about Lovebirds and it's like, oh, this takes place in New Orleans. And instead of filtering right. the movie through New Orleans, it feels more like, oh, this is like dressing on a salad. Like there's a splash yeah, of it yeah. here, a splash of it there. Like, oh, there's some beads here. Oh, there's a sh- shot of a, which I can't even think of the name of the main street, the main drag on freaking New Orleans. But the, this oh, film, Bourbon like, street. yeah, like this, sorry. We just talked about Lovebirds. That's a movie that takes place in New Orleans, which is one. That's of the a most... good comparison, though, because you're right. That's a movie that wanted to have a setting be a part of the movie, and it just it felt like salad dressing. It right? didn't, and it was it was not, and it was like this Flagstaff. I believe this is Flagstaff. Wherever this is in Arizona, has more. The setting is a part. It's a character. It's not just. Yeah. It's not just an add-on. It's a full extra character, and it's it's a huge win, and one of my favorite parts of it. And the dialect is certainly part of that. One other, yeah, one other thing I wanted to mention that I really do like about the movie because it's so well done on the surface layer, but the subtext I think has a lot to do with um, just sort of parenting and especially the idea that you know these two people who fall in love they couldn't have a child and it's like what they go through and the lengths they go to to get that child and I think there's all this interesting stuff going on and then you're right that that reaction um, that uh, Trey Wilson has at the end when when they're giving the child back and how he doesn't really come down on that hard when he kind of hears the whole story about how they were a couple that were trying to have a child and they couldn't have one and then also that dream that cage has at the end where he sort of sees into the future and he sees himself surrounded by this giant family and you're not really sure if it's just a dream or fantasy or if this is how his life really plays out but i just thought all of that was it's sort of this modern take on parenting because it's this couple that can't have a child and I thought all of that was really interesting to kind of layer into this sort of like almost nursery fairy tale thing about child snatching and all this stuff. I agree. And they also touched early on, they don't go to it too much, but the first like 20 minutes, there's the question of what is incarceration about? It's revenge or rehabilitation. And, in, yeah, and he thinks yeah. about revenge. But And there are other talks about like politics. I think you're right. This is a movie that can be, we always talk about layers of depth and how it can be enjoyed. And you can take this as like a fun quirky romp and yeah i think if you want to you can dig a little deeper and find those things because they're there as they're not just there they're woven into the movie in ways that i think kind yeah of- and i think yeah there's also a whole like american dream part of it too and it's like are you really achieving that or do you even want it you know that, that whole part where he sees his boss's kids and they're like throwing jello at his face <laughs> and uh and uh francis mcdormand is like you gotta get your dip tat for your kid and all these tests and you gotta get all the you know checked out and cage is it's like it's all just washing over him and I thought that was a great scene. One of my, I love that scene, and the thing, it just there for many reasons, but just also the idea they weren't bad parents, but they weren't necessarily like the greatest parents. And my kind of takeaway was that like I liked they it. They were average Americans. They're average Americans, and I meant like the they weren't as wealthy as their as the foreman and the wife necessarily, but that didn't make them worse parents. And that's not what it's about. Right, like, yeah. that, that, that's not what it's about. And then you also find out that they're swingers and I'm not, not putting any, <laughs> the, this movie takes a little harsher stance on it. Whatever keeps you guys together and going, I guess is fine. But, uh, and this, it leads to Nick Cage beating him up. Um, <laughs> no, but it's just like, I, then I think the idea there, I, I think my takeaway, what they're trying to do there is just show that, yeah, these people may be criminals. They did something wrong. Just again, the idea, I think this is a world, the Coens do a great job of creating worlds of gray. It's not always black and yeah. white. And all the characters in this, even, uh, not the baby, but even the guy, the the dad, um, senior, 
he had this line early on where he's like, he's arguing with somebody. He's like, even my wife has a sense. He keeps making these kind of sexist lines. And <laughs> I don't right. think it was meant so back then. But just like aging, looking at these characters now, none of them are pure white. Yes, Smalls is probably pure evil. But uh, but the only reason that works is because the baby is pure good. And that kind of, they balance each other out in this. That's true. That's a good point. And that, so those are the only two true positives and negatives and everyone else in between i think is shades and i would say that nick cage is a darker shade of gray than holly hunter but lighter than john uh, goodman and william Forsythe. and like, <laughs> i agree I, yeah i think that's a good yeah you're right everyone's kind of a different shade of gray between good and bad except for smalls and the baby yeah it's a good take <laughs> um I also I wanted to ask you a question uh one of my favorite scenes is like the scene where uh cage he, he robs this convenience store for the Huggies, and then there's this big chase, and Holly Hunter is super pissed, and she's kind of driving around, the cops driving around. How did you feel about these Arizona cops just opening fire inside of stores and residential houses? Like, there's one part, Cage, like, runs into a house, and the cop just fires off three rounds into this residential house. No idea who's inside or what's going on. I thought the cops were a little cavalier with some of those uh, gunshots. What do you think there, Jake? I have heard some of Sheriff Arpaio's news conferences, so I'm not totally blown away that uh, Arizona law enforcement may be a little brazen or or loose when it comes to uh, civil liberties of people. Um, By the way, that's that's supposed to be a joke. I'm not... (laughs) I'm not... Although I do hate Sheriff Arpaio. No, that that is no offense to any law enforcement Arizona. To me, I think it was part of the more fantastical elements where it was like, uh, yeah. it's cowboy. To me, that was one of the times yeah. where it was supposed to be more of a cowboy shootout. As They're kind of to... trying to establish Cage as like this outlaw. And I think you're right, where it's like, oh, he's in a shootout and he's on the run. But it's like, in reality, I don't think any cop would just fire into a house they know, you know. <laughs> I'm maybe giving it too much credit. I'm, now that I think about it too, it also kind of establishes him as maybe a a better class of criminal than we realize, or maybe he's more serious just because from everything over the next 30 minutes, the stakes keep escalating and he's kind of finds you, you realize that he is up to the match more often than not. Another thing I like about the movie is like, there's no like conversation about what he's going to do. It's just kind of like, they're sort of arguing and then he's like, uh, Nathan Jr. needs huggies and he gets out of the car and he goes and robs the place. And then you're in this chase scene and it's like, I just like how the plot functions and it goes so smoothly where it's like one thing to the next. You don't need to have a, like, it's not like he's planning this robbery. It's like he lost his job that day. His wife's asking him what he's going to do. He doesn't have an answer. You know, he stops at a convenience store. What do you think he's going to do next? I just liked how I think a lot of other writers or creators would kind of like overcomplicate things and have like a whole, well, he's going to explain this robbery now and then he's going to do this and now like block out the robbery. And it's like, no. This guy just walks in, he pulls out a gun, he wrote, he tries to get the huggies, and now he's on the run. And it's like, I, I just like the simplicity of the plot and the way it functions. I hate to keep bringing this back to Lovebirds, but we just did it. and But that was a movie <laughs> that I think was trying to go for the very much like, oh, matter of fact, like just yeah, one thing to the exactly. next. Yeah. And and there it feels like we just we said in that, it, when it you don't have a lot of background or lead up to things or those conversations to kind of explain people's motivations, sometimes it can feel a little herky-jerky or like duex machina, just like you're basically plotting to get to the end. You're not following an actual story. It's right. Yeah. Uh, but in this, it doesn't happen. And I think you nailed it. It's, it's the actors, but it's also the way the story, everything feels organic and natural. And I think part of it too, is just the way they ground it. And even as a kid, when I was watching 
by one of the things they're saying, you remember you said watching this a lot as a kid. I think this was on WB11 all the time because I watched this movie, I think, every week. Or I watched this movie tons of times. I always... And I, I think that speaks to, like, the fairy tale whimsical quality of it and the music, too. It, there's something very, I mean, obviously, but there's something very cinematic about how it's shot. And it, it just feels like a dream or a fairy tale as you watch it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I lost my track of what I was saying there before. I uh, I really liked... I really like just about everything on it. But yeah, no, there, there's definitely a fairy tale aspect. I do think, well, I have another question. Oh, is the fighting. The, I would say I felt like oh, they're the able to, like the plotting, it was because it was organic and like there was a very, like for that, he's in a fight with his wife. It's like, basically, yeah. and it's like, we need huggies. And it's like, this guy is not the brightest guy. So what does he do? He chooses the shortest path to get there. And it's like with each thing, it's like, oh, and I guess maybe that's why it works is there's a, there's a basic logic. I feel like it's all through Nick Cage's mind and he just does the simplest thing to try and hurt the fewest amount of people. And so it kind of gives us like trajectory or maybe like internal philosophy that works. I'm looking too far into it that you were saying. You're good. I was going to ask you, um, is this the best Coen brothers movie or can you rank them? I don't know if I can rank them. Um, I, really... I will say, you know, I, I thought that that, that newer one, uh, the ballad of Buster Scruggs. Buster Scruggs, is the most maybe similar to this style. But, uh, I don't think they've done one as sort of rapidly paced. I would agree. I did not like. I did not like Buster. Scruggs. You didn't like Buster no. Scruggs. I yeah, I like this a lot more than Buster Scruggs. I, I thought they sort of like. I don't know. I did not like Inside Lewin Davis. Um, I didn't like that movie either. I did not see Hell Caesar. I think because of Inside Lewin Davis. So their favorite. I mean, there's. A, I need to see a serious man. Their favorite. That's pretty movies, good. True Grit's pretty good. I like Burn True After Grit. Reading. Uh, Burn After Reading. I didn't love. No Country for Old Men is one of my favorites. Uh, the Big Lebowski, Fargo, and this are same. If I had, those are easily in my that, top yeah, four. It's those four. I think No Country, Big Lebowski, Fargo, and Arizona. I think are the four that it's like, I think they're all almost perfect in their own ways. Exactly. I have a very hard time finding things to nitpick in those. And you know, it's how much really I love rare for a director, even for two movies for me to say that. And it's like really weird for me that they have four movies that I'm like, these are all like solid eights and I can't really differentiate them. And one of the, I, there's a good range here. There's a lot of different types of movies here. Uh, I like them. I, now that I'm looking at this, I think I, I like them more than I realized. I, and, uh, like, and then their second level, I would say, is like, you know, Oh Brother um, and uh, uh, True Grit. Um, Blood Simple, actually. Awesome. Noise Crossing. I haven't seen Blood Simple in a while. I do kind of like Noise Crossing. Barton Fink is also a weird movie. I don't know if you've watched those early Coen Brothers. I have seen Barton Fink. Uh, it's weird. I've, I've seen a weird... I've seen The Hudsucker Proxy. I've seen Barton Fink. I have not seen yeah. Blood Simple. I have All seen... of those are like interesting, but they're not quite perfect, I guess, is what I would say. I've also seen Intolerable Cruelty and Lady Killers. And yes, that movie... Is intoler in intolerably. Yeah, cool. not my favorite movie. That, that's one of the dumbest movies. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> this isn't a bashing the Coen Brothers. This is a great movie, and it's so no, funny yeah. to think this is like their second film. And yeah, you you could make an argument that they surpassed it with with No Country for Old Men or some of these other ones. But like, it's cool to see they've been producing this type of content for yeah. 35 years. Like it's insane. 37 years. Also, 38. it's interesting that they, you know, they've made Fargo into a TV series. Do you think Raising Arizona could be a TV series? Yes. hundred um, percent. 
There is a similar show on Fox, not super similar, but there was a show called Raising Hope on Fox a couple years ago, which I absolutely loved. It's not the exact same. The premise there is this guy has like a one night stand, is left with this baby, and he's raising it with his family. Um, and the family, it's like they're they're a blue collar family, and they're from the south, and they all like they all have their draws. Uh, but it's really funny. It's like a sweet, heartwarming comedy, and um, it in broad strokes it kind of borrows from this, like the quirky comedy, the family, like they're. Uh, but some what I'm saying with this is, yeah, I like that show a lot. I saw like 40 episodes of that. I think you could make this into a really good. I think FX would actually probably be best on FX because you could. You don't need it to be R, so you don't need to put it on streaming or HBO. And yeah, I think you sure, could really yeah. get a good audience and get some. If you put the writing and time in, you could get like this could be their next series for four or five. I think if you could get the humor to kind of translate, I think you'd have a shot at it. I was very surprised at how successful the Fargo show was and how sort of like how they were able to kind of keep the feel of the movie in a lot of ways. I think the FX audience is one of the better audiences, though just in terms of the range of shows they're willing to try. Like, yeah. I just think FX, like they always sunny American horror story. Sons of anarchy are three very different, very different shows. And I like all of them, but like they produce the same. I, I and I just think it kind of speaks to that audience. Like they'll see good quality and Fargo too. I, and Legion, like they put out incredible shows. I think it's a testament to, affects the brand, the audience, and then more importantly, like the people they invest in. Speaking of talent, I think there's one person we need to talk about here, Seth. My lady, (laughs) American treasure, Holly Hunter. (laughs) So did you end up liking Hunter more in this or more in Crash? (laughs) Oh, I love her more in this. She is... She's really good. She truly is a desert flower. She is beautiful and so like she's got this like real charm to her um she was awesome she was also i love the she has she's also uh, have you ever seen broadcast news no i haven't i that's a movie i heard about i do yeah, want to see that we should probably put it on our list that would we'll, be a good one to we'll watch. throw it on we'll throw it on the list yeah uh but um i was gonna say one of her talents that i really appreciate is the speed and clarity at which she can do her line reads and it's almost like nobody else so, like she delivers her lines at a huge at a very rapid rate but it's very clear what she's saying and it's like it's a really powerful thing when uh, especially some of the, like the fights she has with nick cage it's like she's just giving them the business and it's all facts and it's like yeah she's right like almost everything that comes out of her mouth, you're like, yeah, she's right. You nailed that. She has a very. I was looking at her filmography too. Another great filmography. She had a great run too after this. Um, I loved her. I love her most things, but Copycat, and I would just think of that. Oh, and the what I took away from that film was like, it's hard to be. She's she's short for a woman. She is a short, small, petite woman. Yeah. She also like invokes like a very, she's very powerful. She has a very big gravitas. And like, to your point, like she can be quick and funny, but also when she's yelling at John Goodman and William Forsyth, like that's yeah. like she's yelling to 500 pounds a man and she's probably less than 100. And I'm worried for those two guys. Like she, there's something very much that's like a pit bull about her. What she can be a pit bull without losing her like sweet angelic appearance and without being, and I think that's a hard thing to do. I think it's funny, you know, it's funny too because she showed up in Succession recently and I think she displayed a lot of the same things where it's like she's this tiny woman, but, you know, among this huge family of all these rich people, like she was swinging her weight around pretty well there. And it's like 
She does have this gravitas to her. It's interesting. She's formidable. She she, she has a yeah. sense of formidable formidableness that it, in all of her roles and characters. And it's also, I think, one of the best things about I in The Incredibles. I know it's a voice acting thing, but Helen Parr. It's one of the best things about that character too. It's like Helen Parr is supposed to be an invisible woman or invisible, which is basically again, it's a woman who can order around other superheroes and it's, and she just naturally has that like inflection in her voice. It's there's an authoritative tone in her voice. Let me ask you this. Do you think, um, just, just throwing it out there. What if it was Jodie Foster? Do you think she plays in this movie? Yes, but I don't think it's the same movie and I don't think it's remembered as well. I don't think Jodie Foster, I think with Jodie Foster, it feels more like crime thriller like fun like comic crime thriller but yeah. with, with with holly hunter you, you get the fairy tale you get the whimsical aspect with her even her voice is like we just said yeah it can be harsh but it's very airy and she's there's something very it's true like I she has a cherub like she... face and uh i keep saying cherub but she has softer features and i think jodie foster would just be a little sharper i think jodie foster would be great i think it would be successful i don't think it's remembered quite the same way I think you're right. I also found myself thinking that Holly Hunter was doing the accent sort of the most subtly and it wasn't sort of overpowering her performance. And there's also moments where she's really like emoting and the Coens kind of play it to comedy. Like like the time when they find out that they can't have a baby and they like there's this doctor pointing to all these like stuff on a on a graph or something and they cut to her and she's weeping and Cage is holding her, and it's kind of a funny shot, but then I was realizing, I was like, she's really weeping, that, like, she's playing the part, like, the mom is just finding out she can't have a baby, it's like, she's really, like, emoting the right emotion there, it's just like, the Coens edited it for it to be funny. <laughs> she, even when she, when they get the baby, she cries, and it's kind yeah. of also, it's not supposed to be funny, but it kind of is. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how they use her character, I would love to get, uh, a woman's opinion on the character, but I really liked it. I thought they portrayed her well. I thought it was a, we always, given the fact it was made over 35 years ago, I thought it was, yeah, it was 35 also, years ago. Also, her just kind of like, her having the power inside the household too. It wasn't like Cage was ordering her around. It was like, she basically was the decision maker. You know, when she, when he came back without a baby, she was like, no, you go back and get the baby. Or we're not going home. It was like, she was making the decision. I, that was one of the, that was one of the things I liked. Yeah, it wasn't even just him. Everyone respected her, even the other guys. Like, and I just love her. She has her own little stare down with like Smalls. <laughs> she was great. Nick Cage, I think, is the only one who could have done his role. I think Holly Hunter is the best for her role. Like, yeah, I'm sure you could have gotten someone else, like a great actress, and it could have been good. But I think the two of them, it, it's hard for me to envision anyone else in either role. All right, should we do final scores? Final scores. Is there anything else you want to say or any other questions? I think uh, I think I think we're. I mean, I feel like we hit a lot there. All I'm going to say is I would give it like ninety percent chance that at the end, uh, old senior just shoots them as soon as he finds them. Old Nathan Arizona senior shoots <laughs> I both agree of them with that. as soon as he finds them in his uh, in his part in his house. But I'm glad that didn't happen. Uh, all right, I'm ready for final scores. Uh, final scores, boy. It's hard to it's hard to find some flaws with this uh, movie. Yeah, the best I could do was like maybe the cops are shooting too much. Uh, <laughs> but I really really enjoy the way it's shot. Really enjoy the way it's edited is what I really appreciated this time. Um, also, just like 
great performances, great surface layer, and then there's also some subtext. I'm going to give it a 9.3. Ooh. Forging. Jakey like. Jakey like very much. Okay, okay. Honestly, I, like, I think you could argue it's the... I, I think there's an argument it's the best movie just because it's so hard to find flaws in it. I mean, maybe if you don't like the humor, like maybe if you're just like, oh, this is just a weird movie and you don't really click with the humor, I guess, maybe you wouldn't put it up that high. But for me, everything in this movie is working. I hear you. I, I could see how the quirkiness could possibly narrow the focus and it might not be as marketable. But to your point, it works for me and I like it. So it's hard for me to really knock it for that. It's funny. I was initially coming in like at a high eight, but I feel like... I thought about a 9-0 and I was just like, you know, I don't. there's not, not a ton of warts. I mean, it's, well, I'm, I'm going to end up at a 9-0 because I was initially 8-7, 8-8 and I'm going to give it a 9-0. Wow. Probably deserves higher. Yeah, you could argue that's the thing. It's like I don't even know if a nine three is high enough. So if we come back to this in our Criterion Collection edition, I may uh, <laughs> I may revise. But right now, uh, yeah, it's a nine. If it's and I'm giving it a nine, it's not higher because I like the movie. It's, I'm probably not going to watch it again recently. Like, and and not that it doesn't. It's a great movie to come back to, like after a few years. I think it's like you're right. It's like I'm not going to watch it again recently. But like when you come back to it, it's just like a great, great feeling to come back to. I'm sure in five, six, seven years, ten years, whenever I watch it next, I'll like it again. It's a good nine. If it's not a nine, I don't know what is. So that might be the highest combined uh, score we've given a movie. I think it is. I think it is. Except when I gave Avengers a fifty. (laughs) Um, but right off the scale right off the scale okay i think i think that does it cool all right all right goodbye goodbye arizona people